nothing's impossible, you said to her. So we would ask, nothing's impossible. We would ask for your healing touch in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Brilliant. Um, the uh, uh, Tuesday of the 7th of June, uh, which is only kind of like a couple of weeks away, uh, the ladies are having a gathering, uh, a get-together. It'll be uh, 6.45 here in the foyer. Uh, it's called Let's Get Together. Apparently, there's going to be connection, uh, a cup of soup, and and uh, live feed. Uh, Dr. Robbie Songuja will be sharing. I've heard him uh, speak a couple times now, and he is well well worth listening to because I, I really believe he has this incredible ability to bring the reality of the, the Christian faith down to our level of where we uh, uh, you know live and how we cope with life. And uh, so, uh, ladies, uh, there's like over 40 of you is already booked in, um, but if you've missed out, you can still register at the front door, okay? Now, talking about just bringing the reality of where our Christian faith needs to be into our lives, in our everyday living, we're also conducting something I think is really good, and I'm just going to ask Rob to come and just quickly share, because Rob, uh, uh, we had this, uh, this happen a couple, uh, uh, probably three or four weeks ago on a Sunday night, and all of us who went were just like, that's very good. So, thanks, Rob. Thank you, guys. Um, and th the name of our initiative is called The Cross Factor. Now, the reason why we call it The Cross Factor is because we believe that the cross is the focal point of world history, but also our history. What happens on the cross... And if we understand what the cross means and does for us, you see that that can be the basis of how we can effectively manage our mental health challenges and also how we can support others. And not only become does this journey to recovery, be, um, it's not difficult for the Christian. It's joyful and it's meaningful. And then I have to say, recovery is also not just a mental health challenge or an issue and, and so on. And we've broadened the whole definition of recovery to include self-improvement. Or in our context, if we think about cross-factor, is that it is to become Christ-like. It never stops. It's always ongoing. And for that reason, we want to bring practical uh, principles and techniques into our journey to recovery and how do we support others along this journey. And the uh, purpose of this whole endeavor is so that we will have an ongoing um, support group in the uh, near future. And this support group is also um, open to anybody it is not only for people um, struggling with mental health. Um, we all can really benefit from something in that vein. I really want to uh, make it clear that there's no um, stigma attached to this, or it's only for such people or such people. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to give you feedback of some people who joined the uh, past two um, uh, sessions. And um, 
one said I initially attended just because I was curious, but I definitely would keep attending when I can. It helps to see the issues in a slightly different way and really helps increase your confidence and self-esteem and your ability to deal with issues. I will recommend it to anyone as it contains helpful advice for, ev for even non-Christians mm. on how to deal with life issues. Um, another one said they love the icebreakers. I don't want to mention that be because um, if I really go into that, nobody will come. So um, <laughs> the biggest, they could, but, but they loved it. So don't let that scare you away. Um, one said that the biggest takeaway for, for them was to understand that what God says about me is final and cannot change. Mm. doesn't matter how I relate to it or what I believe or what other people say. What God says is what matters. Um, another one said, from day one, Cross Factor has been an interesting and emotional experience. As someone who has been through the ups and downs of life, it helped me understand myself more. I was reminded of my worth and learned how to help and understand other people dealing with mental health. From everything that I've seen in, the, in this introduction, and this is just the introduction to what we want to do, I can't wait to learn more. So if you want to know more, find out more, um, there are pamphlets in the back to remind you. I will be in the foyer to talk to you if you're um, interested and want to find out more. And I really hope to see you there. Thank you. Brilliant. You can register. Um, there is a uh, registration at the information desk as well. I went along and uh, I tell you what, uh, it was very positive for me. A great experience as well. So thanks, Rob. Um, so that's that. Can I read a verse to you? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, actually more than one verse I'll read this morning. Uh, verse 13 to 31, it says this. Um, uh, sorry, verse 23 to 31. Um, it says this. Uh, in actual fact, this is a letter, uh, it's from 1 Corinthians. This is a letter Paul wrote. There's, Paul wasn't an original disciple. Paul was an apostle. In other words, he was a person that came came to Christ after Christ died and then rose again. And, um, no, communion's not now, it's later on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so uh, Paul writes uh, Corinthians, this letter to this whole church in Corinth. It's, it, Corinth is still there today. It's in Greece, okay? Um, and, um, and he writes about something really important, a subject and it, and it starts in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. This is him writing uh, to these Christians. He says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, what was he talking about, do this? He says, you know, breaking the bread and eating it. There's something significant here. Do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, uh, which saying, this cup is the new covenant or new promise in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And verse uh, 26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
And so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in the unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Jesus, uh, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why it's many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not have come under such judgment. Interesting passage that Paul talks about here. But let me, uh, let me just, uh, as way of introduction, I, in these last several months, have been um, a bit horrified by the, the happenings around the world, uh, particularly um, what's happening in Ukraine, uh, just with the um, innocent people that are dying. And, um, and f- as far as we're concerned, I suppose, in Australia and many other nations, we wonder why there had to be a war. Um, and obviously, there's some deep-rooted things that we really, I really don't understand or know about, and that's why uh, uh, it's all happened. Uh, but the thing that really um, troubles me is the innocent um, people who are wrapped up in that. And did you know, um, just yesterday, they said an Australian apparently was killed. Uh, you might have read that, an Australian was killed. He was over there, a humanitarian aid person, helping the wounded out of Ukraine, and he was uh, shot and uh, wounded and then died of his, um, of his injuries. I just find that difficult. And, and then, then this week, I, I was even more horrified. I can, um, horrified is probably, I can't kind of even try and imagine what it would be like, but to think that 19 children and two teachers were uh, shot dead in Texas. And, and, and just to try and grapple with what families would be going through this morning or, or you know, probably another time zone over there in America at the moment. It's just the pain of that and the hurt of that and and uh, how horrific is it you know I, um, I, I I struggle to grapple with the reality of that and and the truth is is that I've, I've come to understand that this world and you would as well that this world I don't know the adjectives we could use but the world is just really bad sometimes and it's really nasty I mean it can be really good and wonderful uh, but it can be really nasty and bad I, I don't know you put your adjective on it um, uh, bad and nasty, uh, if we were to just bring it, boil it down to one simple word, um, because we can, uh, bad and nasty really is, unfortunately, as a result of a little thing, and it's not so little, even though it's a little word, uh, uh, sin. And, and if it wasn't for sin, there wouldn't be so much bad and nasty in the world. Um, and th- and the, the other thing is, there's also good and there's also right, isn't there? Uh, which is thankfully great, uh, and and um, and it's a good part of the world, and it's and and it's kind of like a word you could put use for that is righteousness or just living right, um, and uh, but I think as I think about what's happened in the world that's not nice and bad and nasty, I I think that the truth is is I'm very capable myself of being bad and nasty, not maybe murder. And because uh, we would think, well, I've never murdered anybody, and you would be probably very, uh, all of us would probably be in that category, otherwise we possibly wouldn't be here. But uh, the truth is, is that I'm very capable of my own little bad, nasty things. And sometimes I grapple with that, thinking, where does that come from? Uh, where does my bad and nasty or little attitudes or my grumpiness or whatever it may be, or my words that are harsh or my thoughts or my deeds that are not right or my attitudes that, uh, that um, you know, um, work through my system and, 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 and I wish I just didn't have or the things I've done wrong. Um, where does that come from? And 
you know, I, I, I started to think about the realities that there is a thing called inherited sin, isn't there? Uh, so there's things I do that I know about, and then sometimes just life continues on, and I just seem to naturally have this, you know, this ability to do the wrong things sometimes. And, you know, the truth is, I always remember when my daughters, my second little girl, came home from, uh, from the hospital. Uh, she was just a new little baby. I had a two-year-old daughter, Gabrielle, and then I had Simone, the little, she's just a baby, and she's sitting there in a bouncer, and Gabrielle comes along, and she puts her teeth into her skull and bites her, and Michelle and I were incredibly horrified for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, she left the mark on her skull. We thought, she okay, she okay, but she survived. Um, uh, but number two, I thought, where did Gabriel get that idea from? Did Michelle and I actually get down there and kind of um, illustrate how to bite her on the head? <laughs> no. Did, did Michelle and I actually train Gabriel as a little two-year-old? This is what you need to do with people who are younger than you, just bite them? No. So where did the inherited attitude come from? It, it came from, unfortunately, another couple who took a bite out of an, something else. <laughs> and that was Adam and Eve, who, who God said, don't, you can eat of every tree of the garden. Isn't that amazing? God says, enjoy the world, but just don't do, this one tree don't take a part of. Don't, don't eat the fruit of that. And of course, they were tempted and they fell into that and then they took the fruit, the forbidden fruit, they ate of it. And we've been, and sin came into the world and we inherited that sinful nature, unfortunately. So um, it's very unfortunate, but the reality of that is, is that we still live with that and, and we have to work every day to, to do the right thing. Would you agree? Oh, come on, let's be honest here. We're driving in traffic, someone cuts us off and we want to tell them what we think. Whatever it may be, we, we may be upset with our parents, we may be upset with our children, we may be upset with a friend, we may be upset with our people at work. Someone says something or someone tells us something, we assume the worst and we start to get angry, jealous, all those type of things, but, you know, unforgiving. So we're very capable and so we inherited, we inherit things that we wish we didn't inherit, but we, we have certainly inherited uh, the sin nature. Um, and unfortunately, we've been... Um, the rest is history because we've been uncontrollably biting since uh, the start of since Adam and Eve did, and we bite each other, don't we? Uh, and hurt each other, and we also bite ourselves because we sometimes don't like ourselves. We don't like what we are. So ultimately, um, we took a bite out of the one who literally came to save us uh, because we could never save ourselves. We've tried. Men, women, humanity has tried to save itself from this nasty, controlling, inherited thing called sin. We try to save ourselves. And look, to some extent, you can stop the nasty things. You can make good decisions. Uh, and and uh, you can um, lift yourself up and say, hey, I'm not going gonna, gonna to stop that, that habit. It's just no good for me. And you can to an extent. But it's interesting, our inherited sin nature sometimes wants to, take, wants to always take us back. And you always got to be dealing with it, putting it aside, walking forward in, better, in a better lifestyle. Um, so we've got to be, a care, be aware of that. And so out of that, we need, we can't do it ourselves. We need someone to come along. We need a deliverer. We need a protector. We need a rescuer. I suppose we could call him a savior. <laughs> and that 
somebody was Jesus Christ. That was God's plan, wasn't it? And ultimately, we took a bite out of him and we killed him. And he was the one who could help us deal with that. Um, the wonderful thing about Jesus was he was something that you and I aren't. That's why we can't deal with our own sin. Uh, we can, but, but we've got to acknowledge that he's the one who ultimately can. And the thing that's different between him and us is he's perfect. He's never sinned. And so he was the candidate. He was the perfect candidate to take and help us to be forgiven and to walk a better lifestyle and a better life. He was the one who could deal with the inherent problem and restore us back to his father, God, and himself. And thankfully, humanity's cruel act of killing um, Jesus Christ was good for us. It might not have been good for him at the time, but it was good for us because it was the, uh, he was the only one. And in his death and resurrection, he was then made forgiveness and mercy and grace available to us. And I'm so thankful for that because we can, lift, we can be lifted out of the, the stuff that's bad and nasty and we can be given help and hope for a future. And it's through Jesus. So before we, the interesting thing was before Jesus was murdered on the cross, before he was, his life was taken from him, in actual fact, it wasn't taken from him, he, he gave it freely, which is pretty amazing. Um, he instituted a special memorial, and it was called um, uh, communion. We, well, we call it communion. The Bible doesn't use the word communion. The Bible doesn't even use the word Lord's Supper, even though they title those parts of the Bible the Lord's Supper. Um, and it was, it, it was instituted to us, we'd never forget what Jesus Christ has done for us. We'd never forget that. Because the reality is, as uh, Rob said this morning, the cross, or the reality of what Christ's done, that, that's the core of our faith. It's the core of our belief in God. It's the core of everything about life. You think, why? Wow, how did the cross and all that Jesus done became the, the center? Well, quite easily, someone had to pay the penalty for what the world is struggling with. And uh, Jesus put his hand up. And so he instituted this thing we call communion. And we're going to have communion soon uh, together. But I, I just really thought it was important that we come to that point uh, where we just have a bit of a talk about it this morning. Because I don't want communion to become something that's just a memorial. Because we all have memorials in life. We, we, um, we remember, we build statues and monuments in parks and we... And, uh, and to remember the, the women and the men that have died on behalf of us who sacrificed their life in the world wars of one and two and Vietnam and everything else and Iraq and Iran and all those type of wars that have conducted and gone on. And, and we do this on a special day called Anzac Day and we gather around those monuments and we reflect and we are thankful and so we should. But I don't want it to become just something that's like that and never touch the reality of what really it meant for us because it's got to be more than just a monument that we come around. It's got to be a, 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 an incredible, I pray, the understanding of revelation of what there's a person who's done something incredible for us and it can actually affect your life. It can actually make you a better person. Wouldn't you love that? Because I, I always think there's room for me to become a better person. I haven't got to become, I'm not trying to be something I'm not. I just, I want to be me, but I want to be what God wants me to be and uh, Christ-like, hey. So, uh, we, we, we have memorials, but this is a memorial that's incredibly special. And I want to just talk about that because Paul writes about this memorial or what we call communion in what I just read to you this morning from 1 Corinthians. 
And, um, and why do we do it? Why do we share this memorial or this communion? And what are, we supposed to, what are we supposed to actually do when we have communion? What are we, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to think about? What, what, what's the things there that we need to do? Well, let me share with you as, uh, in regards to this, because the whole thing started with the nasty and bad, but I tell you what, it can end with the good and the hope and the help. <laughs> The whole thing starts with because of sin, for the, but the wonderful thing is it can, it can end in righteousness. The whole thing started with a bite that Adam and Eve took of an apple, but the whole thing can end with us taking a bite of a piece of loaf of bread. In our, our case, it'll be just a little tasteless piece of wafer, but it's a bite. Isn't it interesting? Sin, through a bite, sin entered, through a bite, sin will exit. <laughs> in that we remember as we partake of his uh, body, remembering it was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us. So what's the first thing about communion as we come to communion and to think about what was really happening there? What's it about? Well, Paul says in verse 23, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, he says. He says, I received something from God, I'm going to pass it on to you. Here it is, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. Let's just finish right there for a moment. I love what Paul's saying here because I think he's saying, you know, the first thing we need to do when we come to remember what Jesus has done, we need to look back. We need to spend a moment looking back and being thankful. Um, Paul is saying, come on, remember the night? Remember that night when Judas Iscariot I betrayed Jesus, and Jesus took some bread out, and he broke it, and he took some wine out, and he said, you know, this is my blood. Do you remember that night? And in verse 23, he says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Now, here is the interesting thing. Don't be mistakenly thinking that Paul was a part of the first communion service. He wasn't there. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't there. He, he, he came later on. In actual fact, um, Paul was... First of all, known as Saul. And Saul, as you would possibly be aware, was not, um, he, was, uh, he was very mad. <laughs> he was very angry. So, such to the point where he took Christians, arrested them, persecuted them, and then even was involved in the murder of Christians. And so he was a pretty negative person against the Christian faith because he was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, got up a whole, he wanted to uphold God's law, but these new sect that was coming on the scene, they needed to be done away with. And so Saul was an ancient terrorist. He was the first ancient terror, terrorist of the day, I suppose, in some ways. And so Paul is not talking from first-hand experience. He's not an eyewitness account of what Jesus did in that upper room with the 12 disciples. He wasn't there. And yet he says, you know what? I'm gonna, I've received from the Lord what I'm going to pass on to you. And the question I ask is, 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 what is Paul talking about? Because the truth is, is, just as a little bit of more, if you can just handle a little bit more information, Paul wrote Corinthians before Mark or Matthew or Luke ever wrote their account of the actual account of where Jesus instituted the, the communion supper or the Lord's Supper. He wrote it at least 10 years before they even wrote theirs. So he didn't even have any information. He wasn't writing 1 Corinthians looking at the text of Matthew or Mark. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, write that down. Well, that's good stuff. No, he didn't have it. He, he was the first person to write about this very thing, what Jesus Christ had done for them. And so I say that to say this. 
What is Paul talking about when he says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you? Well, what was this all about? What's he passing on? What's he passing on to the Corinthian church and and, and the Christians? Is he passing on the procedure of how the first communion unfolded? You know, they took bread and then they broke it and then they ate. And Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. And then they took the cup after they'd had supper. And, they, and Jesus said, this is the promise in my blood for, for the forgiveness of sins. No, no, Paul wasn't actually trying to give you a procedure of how it should unfold. Um, but what was happening here is he was telling you exactly how it's happened for him because um, he hated Christians, he persecuted Christians, he murdered Christians, and now through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, he's now been forgiven. Because there was a time when Paul on the road to Damascus was riding along, ready to go and arrest some Christians in Damascus, a blinding light literally blinded him. He he, he fell from his horse or fell down and Jesus spoke audibly to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, there was a revelation that Paul had of Jesus Christ that changed his life forever. So what is he passing on about this communion service thing and it, what's happening? He's saying, you know what? It's touched my heart so much. Or reality of what Jesus has done for me. I was the worst of the worst. I was, you know... I, was the, I thought I was the worst, and yet now Jesus comes along and he, makes, he says, you know what, you're the best of the best. Not really, I suppose, but he sees me in a different light. He says, you know, you're forgiven. Um, I give you grace, I'm mercy. And so Paul, it's not some formula or some ritual he's talking about here when we come around communion. He's talking about the heartfelt revelation of literally what Jesus has done for him personally through his death and his resurrection. Um. Um, I love that. The broken bread reminds us of Christ's body. He's, he's given for us and the, the cup reminds us of his shed blood. It's a remarkable thing here that Paul is talking about. But isn't it interesting that Jesus... So he's asking us to reflect. And so the first thing that we see in communion is it's just a moment of being looking back and saying, thank you for what you did for us. Because Jesus asked us to remember his death. And it's interesting that Jesus would ask us to remember his death because sometimes we try to forget death. We don't want to think about maybe loved ones who have died. And maybe if it wasn't a pleasant death, we don't want to think about that. I, I get that. And so does God. But Jesus asks us to rem- particularly remember his death because he wants us to remember how he died. Because everything we have as a Christian centers in that death. If our belief in the faith, if Christ did not die, we are wasting our time right now. But he did, and we're not wasting our time. We've got to remember, it's a part of the good news, the death of Jesus. Um, there's no other religion in the world that, that can say that their, their uh, leader or their uh, whatever they want to call them, died. Now, there's many leaders of many different religions that have died, uh, but there's one difference between the Christian faith and all those other beliefs, whether it's the Buddhist faith or the Muslim faith. or Our leader rose again. That's the good news. But God wants us to ref- take moments of reflecting upon the reality of Christ's death. That, you know, and what that he went through. And we've got a detailed inscription of the torment that Jesus went through. He did it so that we could be forgiving, uh, forgiven. Um, 
Therefore, we remember why he died. We need to remember why he died. Christ died for our sins. He was our substitute. He paid the debt that we could not pay. If someone said to you, you, got, you know, if you had a $10,000 debt and someone walks up and says, you know what, um, I'll pay that debt for you, you would be happy today, would you? If someone said to you today, if you've got a mortgage, I'll pay your mortgage, you'd be happy. And you'd say, that, you'd be happy just from the point of view that it's paid. And, you'd, and, and, and then you may start to say, well, you know, I'll, I'll pay it back somehow. And they say, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm paying it. You don't have to pay it back. That's a good day, isn't it? <laughs> okay, anybody? Anybody want to pay someone else's debt? I saw those hands. We also remember, so we've got to remember how he died. Not just remember why he died, but how he died. He died willingly, humbly, showing us his love. Um, he gave his body. It says, you know, Christ died for us. Um, even before we acknowledged him, he died for us. God demonstrates his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 8. So, wow, he bore on his body the sins of the world. Remembering this is um, incredible, but remembering it, it's got to go past just an historical fact. It's got to be more than a historical fact. It's, 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 um, we, we, just can't, we just can't walk around the memorial or the statue or whatever it is and go, wow, well, I'm thankful. No, there's got to be more than just that because it's more than that. There's a relationship that God wants us with us. We can't just admire it. We can't just walk around the cross and admire it, oh, you know. I mean, I've been there at Skull Hill in Jerusalem and Calvary, and, and I suppose there was historical information that was given to me, but there had to be something more of a connection with the reality of what really just happened here, uh, not just historical fact, because there's a lot of historical facts in Jerusalem. Um, we have to have fellowship with the living Savior, and our hearts reach out by faith when we engage in this and say, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And if you're not quite sure, just for a moment, take, sit, um, and we'll talk about that. I won't get ahead of myself. But if the first thing is that we need to look back, the second thing I think we need to do in communion is we need to look ahead. We need to look ahead. Because Paul says in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians, he says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he what? Comes. Until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death. Till we observe this, uh, the Lord's Supper or communion till He comes. Do you know there will come a day when either you'll pass from this life and if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, confess in your heart, believe in your heart what Jesus Christ done for you, there's, there's an incredible glorious entry into a place where we'll call it heaven, but I, I know it's heaven, but you know, it's amazing. It, I've never been there, so I can't really give you a description, but um, that will be a good day, if, whether you pass away before Jesus comes or we're still here when Christ returns. I mean, things are warming up in the world. Who knows? Uh, it, does, it, does, it says we'll not know the day or the hour. We'll know the season. And certainly the seasons are getting quite uh, prevalent at the moment of Christ's return. And I believe in that, folks. He didn't leave us and abandon us. He gave us the Holy Spirit, but one day He will return and that's what it says, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. So there's a looking forward and a thankfulness that, you know, we can, there's a better day. There is a better day. Our life on this earth is limited to, let's just say, 120 years. If we all live to 120, wow, in our right mind, that'd be great. But it's pretty short compared to eternity. We're just a dot. In actual fact, if you look at a gravestone, 
and they'll put your they'll put the years that you were you were unborn, and then they'll put the year you died. In between is a dash. That's your life. It's just a dash. I'm thankful for the dash. I'm enjoying the dash. But the only reason I want to tell you why I'm really ultimately enjoying the dash is because there is a risen Savior that gives me a hope and a help today and not just and, and continually guides me away from the nasty and the bad stuff. Because you know what I've discovered? Nasty and bad, always what follows after nasty and bad is just pain and hurt. What follows after good and right is, is hope and help. And I want to, and you might say, oh, is that, is that the thing God does? No, 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 that's just the thing that happens. It's like reaping and sowing. Some people say, how can I stop all this pain and hurt? Just stop doing the nasty and bad stuff. <laughs> Good and right, what follows after that? Naturally, even spiritually as well, but what follows is just hope and help and a future and a joy, peace. It doesn't make life perfect. No, 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 it, it, it just, see, life can get so much better. <laughs> Because of him, it doesn't mean you won't have the struggles and the problems. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you've got hope and help for all of that. And, um, and uh, we can smile at the storm. Remember that song? With Christ in your vessel, you can smile at the storm. Uh, there's only me. Thank you, Andrew, Pam, Greg. <laughs> See, we, we, uh, we have a great hope for life now. And we have a great hope for the future, after, after life, after death. And the third thing, if we need to, Paul reminds us to look back when we have communion. He also makes us look forward, uh, but also he asks us to look within. Because it says in 27, verse 27, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. Without going into the full details, the Corinthian church had got to a point where they were... They were kind of doing a disservice to the whole Lord's Supper thing. Some of them were coming along and getting drunk before they partook of the Lord's Supper. They were just indulging themselves. Others was um, actually um, asking certain people not to attend. There was a whole lot of little problems within the communion service happening in the Corinthian church. And, and this was literally only like, um, you know, 25 years after Christ died and the church is mucking up already. You'd think that they wouldn't. And they were turning it into something it shouldn't be. And that's why Paul was kind of saying, come on, don't eat it unworthy manner. What does it mean to take the, supper un to take the Lord's Supper unworthy? Does it mean that we are, we are to be unworthy of such a sacrifice? Or does it mean that those who do not have perfect lives should not participate? Or does it mean that if we, can't, if we can think of any in, any in any way which we do not measure up, that we should not participate? The answer to all those questions is a big N-O, no. Because Paul did not say that we had to be worthy to partake of the supper. He just said we should partake it in a worthy manner. Is that an... So it's not a discussion of character of the worshiper, but the conduct of the worshiper. The Lord's Supper is continually reminding us that there is forgiveness for the sinner and the strength for the weak and the weary. So, so the warning here is not to become insensitive to His presence. And just go, it's okay. I'll, just, well, I'll do this again. But to be sensitive to the presence of God. Not to become insensitive, to be numb of His great sacrifice on our behalf and say, oh, yeah, it happens. And just because I'll be honest, I've had some Anzac days where I've gone to the memorial service and I've just, 
I'm just doing my duty. I just don't want to do the duty with Jesus. I don't want to treat Jesus as a memorial. I want to treat him as my living Savior. And that's what Paul's talking to the Corinthian church about. Come on, guys. Pick up the pace here. You're slacking off. You're treating it as something that's not what it was ever meant to be. Examine ourselves and humbly come to him. And while acknowledging our sin, presenting it to him and being thankful for his mercy, like Paul was. Like Paul was. Paul. He was so thankful, folks. God saved him from a life of such pain. I think he was in torment about the way he treated Christians. But he could, his religious duty, you know, propelled him into that kind of line of thought. I've got to be religious. I've got to do the right thing here. I've got to get rid of this sect called the Christians. But God saved him out of that. And he was so thankful. So as the people come, as, we, as I ask those who are serving communion to come and distribute communion this morning, It's really a very simple act today. It's a very simple act. Um, it's looking back and remembering uh, what Jesus has done for us. It's looking forward and knowing the depth and the resurrection, that, sorry, the death and the resurrection of Jesus promises us for a future filled with the hope and help. And it's looking within and humbly thanking Him that without Him we are lost to a world of pain and hurt. And humbly coming before him and just saying, I, I receive. It took a bite to destroy humanity, Adam and Eve. It takes one bite of a broken body of Christ to restore it. One bite to destroy it, one bite to, destroy, to restore it. And as we come around communion this morning, ideally, it'd be great if we had loaves of bread, we could just break them and Thank you very much, Peter. We could break that bread and, um, and distribute that. But, you know, it doesn't, it's just because it's a little wafer and a little bit of um, juice, uh, doesn't discredit the reality of what Jesus done for us. And that's why we do it this way. So, I, um, I was, uh, um, there's a story, a great story that goes like this. Back in 2000, there was a young man, he was 23 years of age. His name was Mike Anderson. And Mike um, got to a point in his life where he, he went into a fast food outlet in America called Burger King and he robbed it at gunpoint, took the money. He was caught and arrested and then trialed and he was sentenced to 13 years, of, um, 13 years in a, a penitentiary and imprisonment but he was from the courtroom he was released on bail and told to wait for orders on when to show up to serve his time okay have you got the scene um, the orders never came and due to a clerical error Mike never went to prison never went to prison but there's more to the story instead of using his freedom to commit more crimes Mike actually um, got a job and started a business in a construction company. He started to be a football coach for his, he got married, had four children, had a solid, and had a solid uh, relationship with his community. His community never knew and they really liked him. Um, now, 
13 years later, the state that he was living in in America discovered the error, administration error, and put Mike behind bars to serve his 13 years in prison. So 13 years later now, he's now put behind bars to serve his 13 years. He understood that he needed to serve out his punishment. He went willingly for his crime and went to prison, even though it was very sad for his family. And also, um, it kind of put an end to his career and his construction business and all that. But this case received international attention and it went online and a petition went out online and uh, for his release and more than 35,000 signatures were gathered. And so he went, they dragged him out of jail and put him before a court again and the uh, magistrate, after 10 minutes of deliberation, uh, conceded that Mike was a changed man and conceded that he had become an upright member of his community while waiting for his prison sentence. So he ended up spending only 10 months behind bars and a teary-eyed Mike walking out of the courthouse with his wife and his children telling reporters that he was grateful to God because you see this man in the time of his um, waiting for his prison sentence had actually become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the great thrills to Mike's heart was not only did the, the state that he lived in America forgive him by law, uh, and, um, but also the man who was behind the counter that day in Burger King came up to him at the court room after and says, Mike, I just want you to know I've forgiven you for the things you did that day to me in holding me up and taking the money. In actual fact, um, I forgave you because I'm, I'm a Christian and I forgave you a long time ago, but I just wanted you to know me, uh, know who it was and remember me and realize that I too forgive you. And, and so Mike discovered the incredible ability of forgiveness and mercy. And he had a revelation of what Jesus Christ had done for him at Calvary because he, he felt he was the worst of the worst. He was so willing, he was willing to go to jail for the 13 years and pay the price, but they they re- he was redeemed, hey? He was brought out of that, and uh, what an amazing story. Mike had a revelation that day after that court that just like Paul had a revelation, just like I pray that we'll continue to have a revelation every time that we partake of communion and see what Jesus Christ has done for us see the amazing things that he's done and the reality of his death and resurrection for us means life for us death for him life for us and as he rose we can to rise in life and there can be a better day tomorrow it's not a better day without the struggle but it's a better day because we know who's on the throne it's not me it's not this world Uh, it's him and i can live a lot better because of him in my life so we have our communion today he has redeemed us. Maybe we've never held up a Burger King restaurant. Maybe we haven't, you know, done nasty, bad things, as so to speak, as I've mentioned today. But we've been maybe that bad, nasty person at times. And things we've done that we're shameful of and regretful of. And I'm just glad we can come today, not in condemnation, but knowing His mercy and forgiveness. As we look, look behind and reflect look back and say thank you Jesus as we look forward and say thank you there's a better day and as we look also within and say I humbly bow my heart and thank you today could we stand today as we close and uh, let's eat
So peel the top layer off. I'm just going to pray first. Father, we thank you today that Jesus, on the day that the night that you were betrayed by Judas, you took the cup, or you took the bread and you broke it and you said, This is my body which is broken for you. Take it, eat in remembrance of me. And in the same way, you took the cup, Jesus, after supper and you, you, you gave it to each of the disciples and said, This is the new promise in my blood. This is for the, do this drink in remembrance of me, for this is the forgiveness of sins. And we thank you today. We thank you for the reality of the Christian message of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, because it makes all the difference. Holy Spirit, come and may we be ever so thankful today. And may we uh, be reflective and be thankful and humble as we partake today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's partake. Let's eat and drink today in remembrance of him. just thank you Lord Jesus we just thank you Father Mm. thank you Father there is a better day thank you Father today is the day we just thank you Lord
Father, today we just ask that there's people maybe here today that have never acknowledged you or never received you into their life. It says in your word that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can be saved. Saved for eternity, saved from a bad life, saved for a better life, saved for a, um, that you would be our hope and our help. And so I pray for people today. Maybe they're in that point of commitment to you. I pray that you help them to step over the line and say yes to you. You know, I could just as easily just get people to do that today. But you know what? I just, I just know that people need to make that decision themselves. If you, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you make this your own, if this is what you need to pray. But come and, would you come and see us afterwards so that we know that you've responded? Maybe for the very first time or maybe again today. So here's the prayer. Lord, I just come to you and I thank you that you would uh, have done so much for me through your son, Jesus that my shame and my regret and my past doesn't have to live in my present, but I can be forgiven for that. And I can walk into a better day because of what you've done. So I would confess and believe in the Lord Jesus and I would, in my heart, and I would confess it with my mouth and I thank you today for what you've done. And I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you make that your prayer, come and see us or come and see one of our team and tell us because we need we want to just help you because God wants to be everything he can be to you what he planned for you have a great day church encourage someone today have a cup of tea that'd be great